you know, does he have anything for the Europeans? Is he is he a world class level talent, or is he just the guy who you know he beats up on the Americans, but he's not he's not better than that? I mean, I think that he really proved himself as a world class level talent. I think if he had done marathon mountain bike world championships this year, he would have won it. If gravel world championships was in the U.S., he 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 would have an even better shot than he already did, and he already got fifth place. What up, party people? Well, the Bonk Bros have failed you yet again, and what was supposed to be an entire show dedicated to answering y'all's questions got completely hijacked by an extended discussion on the UCI Gravel World Championships from this past weekend. We brought Ignition's David Van Orsel on the show, who competed in the Elite Race for Team USA alongside the likes of Keegan Swenson, friends of the pod Alexi Ramila, and Pesa McElvin, to share some stories. So yet again, we apologize. But the end of the season is just around the corner, which means we will definitely have more time for Q&A. Plus, I don't know about y'all, but I'm getting kind of tired of all this Keegan Swenson domination talk, and boy howdy, can I not wait for there to be more things to discuss on the show. So if you have any questions or feedback, drop us a note at bonkbrospodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on the Instagram waves. All right, let's get this party started already. Was on yeah, the Drew, Drew, is, Drew is always late, and he's always talking about races that no one cares about. <laughs> Like BWR or <laughs> I don't I don't even know what the Marion Cross race is. It's a major Taylor Cross Cup, okay. which actually has been traditionally it's been a little bit later in the year. It's usually like right after the the World Cup block, so like it's Halloween been, weekend usually. Yeah, around there, um, and they moved it up this year, which is nice because it actually wasn't like a um, a mud fest. Usually, like the lower, it's kind of set in like if you've ever been to the velodrome there there's like a hillside on the north side of the velodrome that they generally use or traverse up and then uh there's a lower section in a basically like a floodplain that every year is like hub deep or perhaps deeper type of mud there's always like one day that it rains but it was actually nice this year so hmm. yeah. Sounds did fun. you go no i just have done the race plenty of times and oh, okay did, did Drew get like, the was your fourth or something like that? I was looking up results of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he, he was fourth but, but on he, Sunday. He he would have been podium if you take all the euros out of the equation. <laughs> Second American, actually. Okay, Bruner so was there. <laughs> we we were we were just talking about this before we started recording. Is is uh, Americans going over to Europe to race and euros coming over to America to race? And how difficult it is to race when you have to cross an ocean. Except the Euros yeah, don't seem to have a hard time. Have you ever tried to ride your bike through an ocean? That's freaking hard work. <laughs> <laughs> Except the Euros never seem to have a hard time coming over here. Like, at least well, in cross. Well, okay, <laughs> still, so uh, in, cross, in cross, maybe. But the point that I was bringing up is that every... So every year, the unbound start list is insanely stacked. And, they're unda- and there's undoubtedly going to be some really fast Euros on the start list. And usually with with few exceptions they don't do anything miraculous um in fact the you know they usually have a bad race for some reason you know mm-hmm. a lot of times it's mechanicals this year the mud seemed to get to everyone um except for that front group of six or seven or whatever it was but um so 
a, a Euro coming over to do Unbound is not is not like a guaranteed win, even if they're a super big name. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. part of why Euros do so well in U.S. cross when they come over is, I mean, one, the competition is, isn't as stacked as they get in Europe, but also the courses are usually way easier. Yeah, mm-hmm. very true. Yeah, they, so their, their skills are more proper, their fitness is, you know, more fine-tuned. Um, so they, they kind of just roll over the courses. The other thing, too, Whereas, is... The, like, the I, think, I think Gravel Worlds, and David, you can probably attest to this, like, mm-hmm. that course this year, it, if more European gravel races look like that, then I think you might see more results coming out of Europe in bigger races like Unbound or... Uh, you mean if big sugar? You, you mean if unbound looked like that? No, I just like like that course looked really hard, and I and from <laughs> what I've heard, that course is way harder and way different than most European gravel races up to this point. Is that All right? Well, would you say that, David? I would say it was longer. It's basically longer. a UCI yeah. gravel okay. course, but longer. Like, and Dylan and I were talking mm-hmm. this before we recorded. Like, we don't know why, but um, like all the UCI gravel world series are all like 120k i did the first one was like 95k and it was like 2500 meters of climbing it's just still like valverde won i think in like 340 three hours 40 so i mean that's that's called fun gravel yeah Yeah, basically small gravel (laughs) that's the that's the fun that's the fun distance you know they have the fun distance and then they have the competitive race that's always way longer and it's yeah it's like seven hours yeah. But I think like the main difference between I mean I've only done two gravel races in the US uh so far. Um one being unbound, I only got through twenty kilometers of it and then mm. <laughs> that was that was it. Uh it was a really long trip to go for, for 20k of riding. But um the ba- the main difference is just the infrastructure of the roads. Like there's you don't have massive wide boulevards or gravel roads, like it's just there's always going to be a lot of turns. There's always going to be narrower roads yeah. and, and it's different. But like, as we were talking about the Euros going over to the States, like, I think the difference too with, with a cycle cross is that you're generally going with a team and you've got your whole structure and you can kind of stay in that little bubble. And that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Whereas like an unbound, it's kind of like, Oh, I'm going to go on my own and you got to figure things out. Like, Every day when you, even now I've lived in Europe for 13 years and every day there's little tiny stressors of like, you've got to figure things out. You need to communicate in a language that's not yours. All those things just kind of add up and you have to be mm-hmm. super good to be able to overcome that. And I think like at Worlds this year, honestly, USA Cycling did a really, really, really good job of providing a structure to give us like a bubble that everybody could kind of like lean on and understand. Like when we didn't know what was going on, we could lean on each other or lean on the staff yeah. to figure it out. Maybe they're really yeah. good job. So I don't, I don't know how USA cycling convinced uh, the big guns to go this year and not last year. I mean, last year, the team that they sent was, I mean, I don't even know if you would call it our B team. It, probably not even the B team. Um, hey, I was on that sorry. team. Sorry. sorry if i'm offending anyone who was on that team (laughs) but this year i mean the the names that went were our best gravel racers um and i guess what i want to hear is did you guys have any team tactics going in the race were you planning to work for keegan and if you were planning to work for keegan did that actually work out during the race so yeah we had a meeting on fr- the Friday before the race, and the plan was like, I mean, Keegan's not one to really like 
step up and stay, say much at all. He was just kind of there. Mm-hmm. USA Cycling said, this is what's going on. I'll leave it to you guys. We're <laughs> going to step out. And then we just kind of sat there and looked. And finally, Alexi goes, all right, I'm just going to say it. Keegan can win this race. So I think we all need to work for him. And everybody was fully in agreement. That's, that's very much like Alexi to take charge and speak. Yeah, up. yeah, he took charge. <laughs> and very and, much like Keegan to sit in the corner and just not say anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he just kind of smiled, and, and that was it. But nobody knew that was the case. My personal opinion, after having seen the course before, I mean, everybody had seen the course at that point, but it was going to be really, really hard to control just because of the level of the field and also how the course was. Like, at the beginning, you could do a little bit, but after that, you really had to have legs, and the race just kind of exploded almost immediately. I mean, Mahorich was off the front at like what 50k so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean it was always going to be super hard to do that and then with people made a lot of our start positions being in the back but i mean i was able to get to the front but it was a little difficult for me i'm light dude so there was that one corner where you could chop off like half a k and just cut everyone off yeah everybody's but like that. so that's the thing is like those are like <laughs> that's standard like that's pretty like run-of-the-mill in uci gravel races here like it's not Sick. <laughs> it wasn't it was chaotic but not more than the average european race mm-hmm. like there's it's just very 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 physical here like is it's just like is the rule just like if it's it's like downhill mountain biking if it's not taped you it it's a free yeah. line you can just go basically yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, completely. And you have to, like, that's where knowing the course, like, if you know that, you mm-hmm. can know which ones are better. Because sometimes, like, I was watching Payson's video. Like, I think I was in front of him at this point in the videos, but he was taking on some of, like, the inside lines because some guys look like they were cutting. But then there were, like, mm-hmm. holes. And then I always took the outside <clears throat> line and would just carry the speed. And, yeah. like, he got he got pinched a lot in in those from the video i don't know i didn't i don't have any sure. idea where he actually was but um so i mean it's just yeah you just have to keep on like pushing forward and pushing forward and like honestly zigzag through the field and and really push like bump people a lot like yeah because also you see the one in italy was the same same exact type mm-hmm. of thing and i think sofia Michelfania was talking about how crazy it was and i honestly I didn't think it was that crazy. i mean it was wild but it wasn't absurd this was yeah. last year you're saying uh like uh the beginning of september or something like that oh the the world cup race yeah ex- exactly oh yeah and so yeah it's, right. they're basically just shorter versions of world of the world champion so i i noticed that the the average speed was 20 miles per hour or something i don't know if you've been in europe for so long that you don't even think in miles per hour anymore yeah. but <laughs> i'm I'm actually shocked by how slow the average speed was. What is it? Was it there a lot of climbing or was the gravel slow or what is the deal here? Lots of climbing. So the first lots part of, of climbing, this, the first section that I was telling you about, like there was an open boulevard and then we turned left into some chunky gravel. That was mm-hmm. pretty tough. And then we started the climbing with all the climbs were had. I mean, most of them had the maximum gradients of 20, 25%. I mean, they weren't long, but they're mm-hmm. five, five-ish minute long climbs I mean, so you'd be doing 10k an hour up the climb if you were like yeah, I, gotcha. I was pushed like at van art flatted mm-hmm. i came by him and then he caught us on a ramp and i made the mistake of being like oh i'm gonna follow him for it's only three minutes I think. <laughs> what they I'll had jumps on the, on the course 
I was like, exactly. In Europe, they call climbs ramps. <laughs> <laughs> so I got on his wheel and was pushing like, I don't know, what would that be? Like six, six, seven watts a kilo for like three mm-hmm. minutes. I cramped afterwards very badly, but um, okay. it wasn't a good idea. But we were nice. doing like 11K an hour. So what's that? Seven miles an hour. I mean. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it was just, and then the descents, you can't just like, you could fly pretty fast, but you were always breaking hard into a tur- a very sharp turn, mm-hmm. loose gravel, that sort of stuff. So yeah, I got gotcha. And then that really broke up the race. So like, because then you had the front three, a chase group of five, and then it was just groups of five to 10 throughout the flat section before the last climbs. And so was, was Wout, I, cause before the race, I would have, my money was on Wout to win. Um, yeah. Was he just not chasing because he had a Belgian teammate up there? No, he was going full gas. Oh, he okay. was yeah. really, really upset actually after the race. And he, I think it was on a story that basically he, he said something like he tagged Mohoric and said, you might, this is the result was this, but I did eight minutes faster over the last 34 K or something like that. Wow. Was, that is a yeah, real salty. It was post. a flex. Yeah. It was a flex. Yeah. Like, yeah, he was just going and just riding people off his wheel. Like me being one of them, just like riding people straight off of his wheel. Like uh-huh. sitting on, I mean, not so even attacking. Just you think it's the flat? You think it's the flat tire that cost him the race, or what? Well, it, yeah, he it took was him like twenty like minutes, minutes to fix yeah. it, or something, right? He was yeah, standing on the like side that. with like a like with a teammate. I mean, it, it looked like he had no idea mm-hmm. what he was doing, how to fix that thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So did they not? Did they not allow outside support? Only in designated like team feed support? zones. Yeah, exactly. Only okay. in like a feed zone. But you could like if you. I think he flatted right after one of those feed zones was yeah. the issue. Because if not, he could have ridden the, on the tire. They, would, they, they didn't allow like wheel swaps with a teammate? You could swap with a teammate, but only with one of your own federation. Hmm. So that was also part So you of said our, he was on the side of the road with the teammate, though. I don't know why they didn't. Maybe he... No, because then his teammate got back up and running with... I don't know why he didn't swap that. I mean, he might have had SRAM and his teammate might have had Shimano. Who knows? Well, yeah, that's right. Just because you're on the same federation doesn't mean you're on the same bikes. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Maybe a different size rotor. Like, that was actually something else we talked about in the meeting is, like, Keegan actually tested. And his... He figured out, like, you could ride Shimano 11 speed, Shimano 12 speed, SRAM 12 speed. Any wheel would work. As long as the rotor was the right size, it was all good. So So, you... You all Did have you guys all run rotor? the same rotors? Everybody except for Luke Limperti had a 140 in the back. Everyone else had 160. So. Nice. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think, so, like, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so speaking of Luke, he, he was one of the guys that you, you guys were talking about last week as, like, a, someone who might be able to be up there with his road road background. And he was. Like, he, it was Keegan was was in the front group. Luke was in the front group. And uh, someone else was up there too from the U.S. Andy, Andy Lidditch. Andy Lidditch, yeah, and yeah. yeah, both those guys. You guys were saying because their road background, you thought they might be able to do pretty decent. Yeah, so Andy's, yeah, Andy's a young guy and works, been working <clears throat> super hard, but he does a lot in Europe. So I think that experience helped him a lot because he's been over here for, sure. for a while. And then Luke is just, I mean, he's just a super good bike handler and knows what mm-hmm. he's doing. Obviously, ahead of the quick step next year, so. He was probably the biggest help. I mean, unless I might be missing somebody, but I'm quite sure he was the biggest help to Keegan. Yeah. I got to say, Mohoric is probably one of my favorite bike racers. 
And I think that the day that that happened was the day that he won Milan San Remo with a dropper post. Yeah, dropper post. Yeah. I they were talking about that on on the air. I you know how traditional road cycling is like who who in professional road cycling would ever think to put a dropper post on a road bike? Just you. Yeah. <laughs> like that is so that that's that because here's the thing I I've said this on this podcast before most of the time bike races are won by the strongest rider uh or one of the strongest riders and they win it with their strength nothing wrong with that love to see that but when a rider wins a bike race with their brain I, it gets me going that's that's that is my absolute favorite thing to see so Mahorich, it was a combination of his brain and his skills that won that race, not his strength. I mean, he obviously had to be strong enough to even make it to that point in the race in the first place. But it was what what got him that win was a combination of his skills and his brain. And wonder why he wasn't running a dropper at Gravel Worlds. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, David. What what were the downhills like? Were they, they dropper? Were, no dropper post or no. No, not at all. Like there was one section of like maybe a hundred meters, maybe after the last climb that was slightly mountain bikey. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't worth it. Well, but, but he ran a dropper because so that way he could like essentially super tuck at MSR. Right. Mm -hmm. I would, it wasn't because it was too technical. So there, there were some really fast ascents. It looked like there were a couple, but they were rather, I mean, there's still so many, like turns in that they weren't like mm. style like there was a few okay like, but it wasn't yeah it wasn't really worth it. i just like how he kept on taking risks even though he had like he probably didn't know he had like a minute but i mean to like crash yeah, he, with like he, three kid ago. Did crash. yeah they kept Pulled saying they kept pole. saying on the uh yeah, yeah it, in the feed they were like they were like dude you've got you've got a minute just chill and they're but they're like oh he doesn't he doesn't have a race radio so he has no idea what kind of time gap he's got yeah, yeah he like crashed in into that one corner going into the, into yeah, the bridge, bridge. dude he almost yeah. freaking like smoked a retaining wall on one of the descents <laughs> yeah like he, he is just freaking he, he take hanging he it out there so many risks for sure the the, um, yeah. the recap that i watched the the lady was like was like he's got a, a big enough gap he doesn't have to take any risks and then Five seconds later, he's down on the ground. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he was like locking up his rear wheel to get around corners. Oh yeah, too. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I didn't even dream of doing that. I was. But, it was I mean, sick. I mean, yeah. In, in the last thirty k or so, was was really technical. Yeah. So was, I mean, yeah. you know, which which is good. Like that makes it harder to come, you know, for for gaps to close. But it also means that if you if you mess something up, like you know, there's yeah. there's big risk and um, yeah a lot of potential to lose time if you go down he he went down drive side too he's lucky yeah. that he didn't i mean know, break his trailer like, or something was all those like there was a few little bridges like that where like the fastest line through like trying it is one thing to do it when you're riding the course beforehand but like when you're at the end of the race like i ran into a couple of those walls too like and i wasn't risking anything. i was just completely cooked mm-hmm. you know so dude the there, there was there there was one bridge with probably 10, 10 or maybe even less to 10 K left to go. And it was like one of those like old historic style bridges where the boards are running parallel to the direction you're moving. And there was a gap, like an inch gap in between each board, you know, or whatever for you, like, you know, 30 millimeters. So it was like so sketchy. Like, dude, I thought for sure he was like, his tire was just going to get slotted into in between these boards at one point. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many, there's so many times during the race where, like, when you look back and you're like, oh my, like the beginning, for example, you could not see a thing. Like, I'm not exaggerating. You could only see the helmet of the guy in front of you. You're just mm-hmm. going full on by memory. I mean, and you think back to it and you're like, wait, I did what? You just, mm-hmm. you just go. You know? That's one of my favorite things about racing is, is, your brain goes into this mode where you're not even really like thinking consciously. You're just sort of reacting and you like look back and you're like, damn, I can't believe like I did that. But in the moment, it's just like, it's just bike yeah. racing. Right. Yeah. You but when you, it. when you like stop to think about it or like if you're in training and you're like thinking about it, like sometimes my heart gets like my heart rate goes up. Cause I'm like, Oh man, that's seems like crazy to think about like that. I'd be doing that right now. Yeah. But in the moment, it's just kind of like, it's just bike racing. Yeah. You just do it and you don't, until you think back, yeah. you don't realize how, ill-advised that move probably is <laughs> yeah so i think so, i think that the big question on everyone's mind before the race is was how if they're if they're a u.s fan of gravel i maybe the europeans didn't care but if they're a u.s fan of gravel is is so keegan's been so dominant in the u.s couldn't be more dominant uh only i think the only race he lost this year was schwamigan if I'm correct, I can't think of another one. Um, you know, does he have anything for the Europeans? Is he is he a world class level talent, or is he just the guy who you know he beats up on the Americans, but he's not he's not better than that? I mean, I think that he really proved himself as a world class level talent. I think if he had done marathon mountain bike world championships this year, he would have won it. Hundred um, percent. He should do that before he retires. He needs he needs to win marathon mountain bike world championships before he retires. I think he has the capability of winning gravel world championships before he retires if he has a good race there. I think if if gravel world championships was in the US, he 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 would have an even better shot than he already did and he already got 5th place. So I I don't know if I agree with that. It would depend right. on the course. All right, let's hear it. I, I think it would. I think it would really depend on the course. You know, if if you brought that field to Unbound, like sure, there's all the chaos and the unknowns and the variables of what could go wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think just the sheer horsepower that some of those those guys have on just a 200 mile drag race. I I don't know if Keegan has that kind of horsepower. So it depends on the course. You know, it, the climbing helps him. I think the technical aspects of the course helps him. Like the fact that he went from mid pack to top five in the first five K of the race or whatever it was like that shows that he's got the skills to, to be up, you know, to get up there and, you know, navigate the field. Um, I, I think it would really depend on the course. I, I don't, I don't opinion, think just bringing it to the U S would, would, would do it. It'd have to be the right course in the U S. My opinion is that we have actually a lot, the U S has a lot of world-class riders potentially, but the thing that U S riders are missing that the European riders have is race days of long mm-hmm. race days as well. Like if you're, if you've got six tours de France under your belt, 10 classics, a bunch of semi classics, that's, there's so much that you're gaining from that. That is just impossible to replicate in the U S right now. How many times, For sure. how many times is the average lifetime grand prix rider race in a year? 12, Three. 15, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe 15. 15. probably, probably 15, I would say on average, and very, very rarely is that ever back to back. Yeah. Usually think, not. And that's why I think like, if, if we as a nation want to win a rainbow Jersey and gravel, 
we need to bring over more Americans to race in Europe. It doesn't necessarily have to be on gravel, but we mm-hmm. need to be racing more here. That's yeah. Well, that's, so that's the what sense you, that I got to, and and that's what some of the guys after the race were saying. You know, Payson, Alexi, Brandon Words, they're all like. They were all fired up like, you know, next year we're going to chase UCI points so we can get a better start list and get more experience racing over here. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's the irony of it is just really comical because last year, this same time, they were so anti-UCI, anti-European gravel, like yeah. wanted nothing to do with it. But now once you get a taste of like, oh, wow, we can actually do this and like win this thing. It's like, yeah, may- maybe we want to spend some focus on trying to like actually do it correctly. When, um, so I, I thought that was funny, but, but I think you're yeah. right. That's what they need, for sure. That's what they need, and, and that's what I mentioned specifically. I mean, I was at the table sitting right next to Payson. We're talk, everybody's talking about I was listening more. But um, <laughs> I, I don't kind of talk as much because those guys, they, he's not they've scary. got their you, vibe. I, no, he's, yeah, he's the mustache guy. looks a little intimidating, but <laughs> I know, he's, uh, he's a nice it's, guy. It's impressive is what it is. Speaking well, of impressive, <laughs> I have – sorry, go ahead. Uh, not you know uh you're probably out of all the riders that went the the least well-known rider 100 percent. yeah nobody knows well, especially like being in in based in europe right yeah. i mean you don't even you don't even race here in the u.s so they probably exactly. didn't even know who you were maybe they did yeah, maybe I mean, they didn't i don't know probably not i mean the thing is like for me my skill set allowed me to get to the front relatively mm-hmm. easily um but i at 57 kilos, like my horsepower is not the same as pesos, mm-hmm. for example. Right? 57 kilos? What is that, like 125 not, pounds? Yeah, it's not heavy. So, <laughs> yeah. You can't make a lot of, like, you can't, you're not allowed to make a lot of errors in, like, positioning and things like that because you're not sure. going to be able to, like, if I push 400 watts for five minutes and that's it. Goodbye. Sure. Like, um, so, but, Anyway, so we're sitting there chatting. First of all, talking about impressive and, and weight, I've never seen people eat so much food in my life. Like, Brennan <laughs> and, like, they ordered, like, pizza, like, started with pasta, then switched to another pizza, then they split another pizza. And I was, like, I was impressed because in European These teams, are my like, people. like, I was, imp- like, it was, I was there with my Spanish teammate, with my trade team, Reverb, and he was, like, he looked at me and he was, like, are you kidding me? I've never seen anyone eat this one. Like this is like forbidden in Spanish teams. Like, and it's true. Like <laughs> in, in, in Italian teams, they don't let you eat pizza during the year. Like they're like, no, it's, it's bad for you. You have to eat pasta. I'm like, isn't pizza just pasta cooked in an oven essentially? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, but, they don't, they don't want you to eat a lot because they want you to be lightweight. Yeah. So yeah, everyone, okay. like, I think it was pacing with me. He's like, how do they expect you to get more power to, how do they expect you to get more power like that? I'm like, I think they just want you to be lighter. Like, it's very old school. It's it's not the right way, boys and girls. But um, yeah, uh, that's that's the way we were. Just I mean, like, that, that is impressed. that is actually hilarious that the Americans came over and were just eating the house down. I yeah, mean, that's, was, isn't that the stereotype about Americans already that we eat too much? Yeah. Oh yeah, like they, the the like the waiters and waitresses were like, "What is going on?" And I was like, oh, "We just did a race. We're hungry." Um, Dylan, waiters, Dylan's watched me house multiple pizzas in a row. That's true. I if if Adam was there, he could probably put Brennan Words to shame with how much pizza he was eating. For sure. Yeah, next year, worlds world pizza eating contest. Dude, count, <laughs> count me you, in. You can. For you sure. guys can come to my place. You're you're invited. But, yeah, awesome. Um, Down. Yeah. So they were talking about like chasing UCI points and all this and that and the other. And I yeah. I mean, I think 
it's not the points is the issue because honestly, my also my other opinion is obviously it's way easier to start in the front and the back. But mm-hmm. this year's course, it was not that much of a disadvantage to start in the back. You could get to the front, like okay. you can you can get you could get to the front. You had to spend more energy than somebody who started at the front, obviously. But the the issue is not the points. The issue, in my opinion, is being here and racing more more frequently and understanding who's going to go where when. Gotcha. In, in, I think it was a podcast with. Um... Matteo Jorgensen, where he was talking about just what you were saying earlier about how like the difference between American and, and European in terms of how they approach training versus racing. And he was just saying like, you know, the Americans are like really good at training. There's a lot of emphasis put on, you know, very specific training, but when it comes to racing, that's where it's just like the Europeans are just racing multiple times per week. They're getting all of that experience. And so any type of tactical or like just, you know, knowing when to, when you can squeeze through a gap and when you can is just second nature to them compared to, you know, maybe a steeper learning curve for, for the Americans. So, I mean, to basically just going along with that, you know, we probably, if America wants to do well at, European gravel worlds or UCI gravel worlds, and they need to up their number of race days from, you know, your best four out of seven races or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, didn't, didn't Russell and Howie go over and do a couple of the gravel world or gravel world races? Yeah. Yeah, That's a good point. Russell probably has the most UCI gravel points out of any American. I was pretty well, I think in one of them. Yeah, and the one in France, he did really well. The one in Italy, mm-hmm. I he was ahead of me, but I just saw him crawling out of a bush at some point, like trying to fix a flat. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I expected him to be on the squad. Actually, I, I don't know why. Yeah, I, we were talking about this last week. I think he's had a rough past month. Uh, the last two Grand Prix races didn't really go that well for him, and it's not because of mechanicals or anything. It's I think it's a fitness issue. Um, yeah. so, or a fatigue issue. Or fatigue. Well, I, who, who knows what it is, but... Yeah. Um, well, that I mean, also we could, gets back to a little bit, too, of, like, why why you guys aren't able to race as much, too. I mean, like, it's a lot of stress because you... I mean, you need to do well in a lifetime grand prix because there aren't many opportunities. There's not an opportunity to have a race where you say, I'm going to risk it and get in the breakaway and do this. If mm-hmm. it doesn't go well, I'll race again tomorrow. Right. Yeah. You need to do. And then also point. then to go from Colorado to North Carolina is not an easy trip. Like, yeah, at all. Also the, so yeah. the, the races, the gravel races here take quite a long time to recover from. I mean, when you're racing seven, eight hours or unbound, which is 10 plus hours, uh, it's not like you can do two of those in one weekend. I mean, you could, I, they, they do have, they used to have Leadville and steamboat on the same weekend, but it's not, you know, do that multiple weekends in a row and you're going to be suffering. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. When I think also that gets back to like Tyler, what you were talking about of like the way that people train differently is like, if you don't have as many opportunities, you put a lot of pressure on well, I mean, for good reason. In the Lifetime Grand Prix, the stakes are high, right? And so you need to be flying on that day. Whereas if you have, I don't know, say you're going to race a bunch of Kermises in Belgium, and you've got three weeks and you're going to do eight races or ten races, you can afford to be a little bit tired going into them and you don't. There's not as much stress and you just race. You ride 30K home 
sleep, eat, go race again the next day. It's not a big deal, right? Yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, for you guys doing the Grand Prix, it's it's every single time is, I mean, literally you can see cash slipping away from you if you're not <laughs> yeah. well. You know? For sure. You can even see the cash. For sure. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, there's I mean, a, there's a lot of pressure on, on every single performance in the U.S. Yeah. 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 And each race is like such a hyped up is such a big deal. It's like they've got these expos that you got to be at, and mm-hmm. and you, you know everyone gets to the it. race five to seven days early to pre ride. You know, like there's yeah. so much that goes into it than just like ah, I'm just going to show up and race. Everybody's expecting yeah. an Instagram post. You know, you got to write a <laughs> yeah. novel in your caption <laughs> to let people know yeah. that yeah. this is right. life. And you're trying well, really that's hard too. Like the a lot of the European guys like what like i was also amazed by how many media or sponsor requirements there were from um from all the american guys like oh, i gotta go talk to shram now or i got this coming in and the european guys were like oh whatever i'm racing like you know yeah i mean that's see and that's where i think the opportunities in the u.s are just different you know you're not you're not getting paid by a team for the most part there's a you right. know, a couple gravel teams but most of the, most everyone's a privateer, which means they're partnering with brands. And the only way that they're bringing any value to those brands is by putting content out there. Yeah. yeah David, and there's not really opportunity to ra- to make money from the racing itself. Yeah. You know, the, there's a handful of races that have decent prize purses, but there's only a handful of guys that are gobbling that up. So most of the guys are not making any money from prize winnings. Yeah. David, let me ask you, what do Europeans think of the Lifetime Grand Prix? Do they even know what it is? Do they care at all? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, I you know probably the about, yeah, about the way. So also there's this too, is like, there's also a difference between being strong and being famous. Okay, you know? yeah, and like, for sure. I think that sometimes in certain contexts, there are people of in all sorts of sports, not just in gravel racing, but like the people are known and the people are like, Oh my gosh, so-and-so is here. And in reality, mm-hmm. so-and-so is not that strong. And then some unknown person comes in and just like smashes it. And everyone's like, Oh, who's, who's he? Well, that guy's been winning races for 15 years, you know, but they're just not very Instagram savvy or they live in a market that like in a small country in Europe that, See, Dylan, I told you you were hyping Wout up too much. He's just he's just famous, man. He's yeah, not dude, super he's strong. Not strong. He's just famous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely not strong. <laughs> but no, they do not like. Apart from Unbound, like there's a lot of desire. I think, as in, kind of like, hey, it would be cool if we could go do that thing, right, mm-hmm. in the states. But if I mention like any of the other Schwamigan. lifetime Schwamigan, no, nobody knows what it is. Um, it's only the rad. In, yeah, the rad. Like, I didn't know what the rad was until the other day. When I mean, it's okay. Uh, US, US people didn't know what the rad was either. <laughs> yeah, okay. But then there's, um, what's the other one? The It's the short one, Crusher and the Tusher, Tusher and the Crusher, whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I the Crusher and the Tusher, the rad, and Schwamigan are all kind of like disposable in my opinion. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's kind of like the way Europeans look at it. They're like, it's not a big Mm -hmm. deal to them. Like there's no, Mm -hmm. apart from Unbound, but then they go to Unbound and like, man, that was a boring course. Like it was just straight all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it's very boring. (laughs) So, so this time last year, Keegan went over and raced Road Worlds. Yeah. And I think everyone in the U.S. was like, 
oh man, Keegan's going to smash Road Worlds. Like no one has a chance. Like you, if you read the comments of any of the any, posts, people, did people, anyone say that? Yes, oh, yeah, a dude, lot of people all, said that. all the fans, all of the people were <laughs> yeah. saying that. You know, these are U.S. fans who are fanboying wow. over Keegan, right? Okay. And then he goes over there and gets a pretty, pretty mediocre result, which all of us probably kind of expected to be the case. It wasn't in Europe, though. It was in Australia. No, it was Australia. in Australia. So, But that's what I was going to say. And, and and I think that experience for him kind of left him like, I don't know if I really want to do this world's or this road thing anyways. Like, it was fun. But, you know, like, I, I think he was maybe hoping to do better than that. But then Gravel Worlds, I felt like it opened, may, and David, I don't know, maybe you can attest to this from conversations, but I feel like it opened Keegan's world to, like, what a class, classic season could look like for him. He would be a very, very, very good classics rider. However, how old is Keegan anyway? What is he, like 29? I think he's 30, 30. 29, 30. Yeah. yeah, by European standards, he's ancient, like, to yeah. start. Like, but, yes. I mean, the type of athlete he is, he would have been fantastic in that. 29. The, the train may have come and gone. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he could probably reach out to any squad and get a place or not. Yeah, anymore. yeah. A lot of. Well, but I think um, I, I think I could see him being attracted to some of these European gravel races. Is kind of where I was. Yeah. Eventually, going to get to. You know, he's been kind of you know cleaning house in the U.S. for the last couple of years, and I don't know. Maybe that's enough for him. Like maybe he feels good about himself that he just you know smokes everyone at all these races. But I, I kind of doubt that that's the case. I'm sure he's looking for more. Like he wants to prove himself more on the world stage again. And I could, I could see him trying to put together some kind of Euro gravel season or something. I personally think he should. Because he can't go do a classics race. Like you got to be on a tr- trade team for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Spoiler exactly. Right? <laughs> you know, so but but he could hop into he, he could world he could series. he could do gravel world series combined with marathon. World Cups that's, and try that's, to try to win Marathon World Cups it. and Marathon World Champs. So you don't know this, Dan, yeah. but that's what I think you should do too. Like <laughs> okay. you, I'm telling you, you should because I t- I told Nina you, you the two of you need to come over mm-hmm. and and do some of those like because you can earn a fair amount of money in the mountain bike world World Cups. Like I think there's like a three thousand euro prize purse mm-hmm. if you win in some of these things. Like if you combine those two things, you could get a pretty good race season out of it and you can you don't have to drive that far like mm-hmm. see the, the hard thing though is is the domestic sponsors here that most people have they don't give they a wouldn't rip care about, about gravel or about that's, mountain bike or that's Cups. probably like where we get to the root of your original question right is like right. why like should he do it and and back to what i was saying is like if you're going over to perform in markets that your sponsors don't care about like i don't know how much does monster care about Keegan racing in Europe. I don't know. Marathon. I don't know. Do, people, I mean, do people drink Monster over there? It's a good question. <laughs> right? um, I mean, Red Bull for sure is huge, but I mean, but you get back to it of like everybody's interested in the world's biggest, wealthiest market, which is North America mm-hmm. in terms of sponsorship dollars. And so. Yeah. Mm. I can understand where I don't know what his reasoning is, but I can understand why he might want to continue to just race while in the U S because that's a sure thing and probably a lot of money, but there is something else too of like, and again, it might be past the time for him to be able to do this, but if you've raced six tours to France and play a big role in a major team and you've raced the classics, 
you your long-term earnings from that if you're going into a company saying i want to be a consultant for performance whatever i've raised six tours to france they'll be like oh okay cool let's talk but if you said i won leadville the majority of people in the world don't know what that is Mm -hmm. right so from an athletic perspective earning money directly from being an athlete it makes sense what he's doing but I mean, mm-hmm. in the end, it's, I don't know what his reasoning is, but I would like to see him and a lot of American guys come over here and, and do some races. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, it, it is a fair point too, that, you know, I, t- I talked about how, you know, there's only a handful of races that have decent prize purses. Well, Keegan's won all of them and, right. you know, he's probably going to rack up six figures in prize earnings this year and he'll be the only one to do so. Right. You know, so that alone is, you know, incentive, you know, financial incentive for him to keep doing what he's doing. Cause like you said, like that is kind of, I mean, it's not a sure, sure thing, but he's sure as heck making it look like it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, when it comes to like, why is Keegan keep racing in the U S I mean, I don't know. I don't know Keegan. I, I won't, I'll just hypothesize, but I'm sure like if the right offer had come around for him to race on the road or to be in a world tour team, then he would you know, probably have gobbled that up. But to your point, David, like he's probably making a, a good amount of money here in the U S and like having fun doing it gets to be in a familiar environment and not away from his family doing, you know, whatever Perry tour, or like bank bank classic or something like that. You know, yeah, the ones, everyone thinks about like, what did oh, you cool, just say? Flanders bank bank classic. Yeah. yeah, yeah dude. That's a <laughs> name of race. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're Belgian, like that's cool. Like everyone would be like, "Oh, that's awesome! You're doing that yeah. race." But if you go and say, "Hey, I'm doing Big Bang Classic," the yeah. average American yeah, they react like Adam just did. That yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't want to gloss over the fact that also for the U.S., Lauren Stevens got six. Do we do we think that she's setting herself up to like maybe do the Grand Prix next year or something? Because she also won the U.S. Gravel Nationals. She's on a pro road team next year. Yep. Right. Yeah. Then, yeah. So I talked to her and I know Matt, Matt was on the, the team last year as well. Um, and so we chatted quite a bit. And so, yeah, Dude, he was on the team this year on the elite team last year. He's top and 20 the, in his age group In his age group. Yeah. He's a <laughs> sick racer, but he helped. The thing is even more impressive about that is that he was helping out a ton with the, the Federation and in particular the women's squad. Um, that he was like all over the place helping out. Like he was not with his legs up getting massages for sure. Like, yeah. And yeah, I, I think it's cool. He, he's, I mean, he, he's a prominent racer in itself and he's been doing gravel yeah. for a long time, but yeah. I think in the last few years, he's kind of sacrificed his own career in a way to help accelerate hers. Cause yeah. she's, she does have so much potential still. Yeah. She's um, super, I mean, super awesome. And, and they're both, both those two are very prominent, not only in terms of what they do athletically, but also as leaders within like a federation. Like when Lauren shows up, you she knows what needs to be done, and everybody knows that she knows. Like if you follow what she says, that's going to be the right way. Like mm-hmm. she brings a wealth of experience that, like, yeah, everybody in the whole. American Federation can benefit from like if you watch though because they both do a good job of being very serious but not taking things too seriously if that makes sense sure of like Pro- professional they take, they're very professional but yeah Relax. don't take it too yep for yeah. sure and yeah, always looking that. for where you can get better <clears throat> and 
I don't know exactly, but I do think that that Lauren and Matt have had like a very big impact on the massive leaps forward that USA Cycling did in terms of what support they were able to provide this year. And yeah. I mean, apart from the Italian squad, we were the by far the most organized, structured team mm. out there at the, the start. I mean, it, yeah, it was so what, really well done. What was the support like from from USA Cycling? Because I know, you know, only having raced in Europe from cross, it seems very... Mm, pre, and historically, it's been very segmented where, you know, even if you are an American there, it's only support for people who are basically paying, right? Um, right. But it, to your point, or what you said earlier, like, it looked like you had really good support throughout. And just kind of curious, like, what was the support that they provided? Was there, so yeah, was it friends and family or... Yeah. Yeah. So, like, financially, it was for the top three at the world champion or at the national championships for both mm-hmm. the women and the men. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everybody else was, for the most part, just paying their own way. So, right. like, in my case, I just had to drive three hours north. And then my trade team, like, we had a, a team house. So <laughs> that was good for me. They had a, a team hotel that everybody could stay in. Um, but you had to pay if you weren't on those those first three, but you know, um, I think more important than that, than the, than the cash part though, was the fact that they had people on different levels of financial support, but they provided pretty much the same amount of actual support between mechanics, soigneurs, um, feed zone help trainers. There were, you know, 12 guys, 11 trainers set up and not everybody wanted to warm up on the trainer. Mm -hmm right before mm-hmm. the start. I mean, nobody besides, I think Italy had that. Nobody. Mm, wow. besides us. I mean, everyone was taking photos of us probably a little bit because we had one of the favorites. I mean, like little socks of, of ice at the start because it was getting kind of warm as we were warming up. Like, I mean, they did a, a super, super job. And I think everybody on the team felt really, really well supported. And I mean, there were six feed zones throughout the 169K or whatever it was. I mean, every 20K you had a bottle of ice cold scratch mix. Dude, yeah, I saw that. Uh, but Alexi still rode with a pack. And he was he maybe one of like three people that I saw wearing a pack. <laughs> I was a little bit confused by the pack. Um, I obviously wasn't about to tell him what I thought, but... Um, <laughs> Was he going to pick up yeah. his dog along the way and just needed that? <laughs> yeah, Is that what yeah, happened? Was Willie was jumping in. Speaking of that, it seems like riding with your dog in your pa- in your backpack is becoming a trend. I am seeing so many people online riding with their dog in their pack. I don't know if Alexi started it, but it's catching oh, yeah, like, with you uh, like a bunch of posers. Yeah, Demi Vollering was doing it the other day. Yeah, Demi Vollering, one of the GCN guys. Yeah, he should... Uh... <laughs> So, so David, sorry, I stepped out to go to the bathroom. I might have missed it. Who, who were the top three that you were talking about in the U.S. squad? So the top three were obviously Keegan, Brennan Wirtz, and I can't remember who was second at the world at the nationals. Was it was it Lexi? Oh, was so it, it was top three from oh, nationals. Yeah. yeah, top three. That's from what I was going to ask: is how do they elect who those top three leaders? Dude, were yeah. The other thing the about Alexi, it wasn't leaders; it was fi- it was financial support that we were talking about. I asked financial. a question about yeah. the support, and yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. The other okay. the other thing so, about Alexi okay. is every single rider that I saw a picture of has their number wrapped around their head too, real arrow. <laughs> yeah, except for Alexi. <laughs> we actually have. There is actually, I have in the WhatsApp group, I have 
a message from the guy running everything and keeping everything mm-hmm. organized. He said, went to the, to the director's meeting and they said they're not going to be strict about it. So my suggestion is you make it as arrow as possible while your number is still visible. I don't know why he must have not, he must have, that's maybe why he had the pack because he had the number. But then he lost those watts and then had to gain them back from the pack. Dude, like, I, I'm just, I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna be honest right now. So, you know, somebody's probably gonna send this to Alexi and and he'll he'll correct me the next time I see him. But it does yeah. not seem to me like Alexi cares about aerodynamics at all. And I can just, I, I can just tell from the equipment that people use whether whether they think about aerodynamics or they don't. Uh, and Alexi, Alexi strikes me as one of those that does not think about aerodynamics. Well, speaking of packs too, though, I noticed that Payson was riding with a bottle in his rear pocket, and I don't know if mm-hmm. it was full or not. And maybe he had watched your video as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had an <laughs> empty maybe. bottle in the back pocket. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps I don't know. But well, no I, skin suit. Like we had skin I think, available. I think Payson kind of accepted his role as being there as. A, team support at least yeah. so that's what the perception i got everybody, from what he was talking about everybody online. on the team everybody on the team accepted that role but mm-hmm. the reality was you needed to have more legs to be able to support keegan than mm-hmm. sure everybody except for luke to have basically mm-hmm. sure like that was that was the harsh reality of the course and the level of of competition mm-hmm. So really, so, it's not Keegan that needs to go do more European gravel races. It's everybody else on the team that needs to go. Every, yeah, <laughs> everybody. I mean, no, for real, I think everybody would benefit from doing a block of it if you're mm-hmm. serious about to come over here and do it. Like, I mean, yeah. And were the call-up positions... Go ahead, sorry. As a, as a coach, if I were to, like, to tell somebody what do I need to do to put myself in position to get a good to get a good result at world championships i would say go do at least a couple well uci at least a couple <laughs> as much as you can and was call up position by your uci gravel points or just uci points in general it was uci points in general but it was weighted towards gravel like a gravel point was worth one point and then i mm-hmm. think road and mountain points were worth and cyclocross were worth half gotcha mm-hmm. what it okay. was and then in gravel over here especially is like are you famous? Yes. Okay, we're going to put you in the front line. Because like, yeah. where do they know way does he have that many points and he was in like the second row? Yeah. Well, he's, and he's yet, named a couple of still, gravel World Cups. And yet, I still found myself in front of Valverde with like like 25K in. Mm. Like, I don't know how he's, yeah, his technical abilities on the road are insane, but he, he he's had, probably the first to He had to mismatching deny. tires on. He had a Pathfinder <laughs> in the front and he had a Pirelli in the back. Neither of whom sponsor Movistar. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I don't had, know. And he had like downhill style mountain bike, like the kind, like the the <laughs> SPD pedals with like the platform on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Who Somebody is tells me he really didn't care that much about the race. Yeah, Who is this? I think Valverde. Valverde. Uh, oh, he's a former road racer. Uh, Spanish national champion. <laughs> I, Thanks for I, I, I just missed who we were talking about. There was some, yeah, there was some odd, odd equipment choices out there too. Like, really, wait, he dusted Keegan in a sprint with flat pedals? No, uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no. They're like downhill style clipless pedals, like the clipless pedals that endurance enduro guys use. 
He had the Maliton. Okay. Is that what you're saying? The magnetic bottom. <laughs> the, the, Shimano ver- the Shimano version of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're talking about just, they're just big, but they've still got SPD in the middle. Do you know what yeah. downhill clipless pedals look like, bro? <laughs> no, dude, I've never ridden a downhill bike before. <laughs> it's just yeah, a regular clipless yeah. pedal with more of a platform. Okay. Like if yeah. you wanted to ride it with a regular shoe, it would be easier to do so. Dude, like, was he wearing those those ragbri sandals too? <laughs> yeah, like Taylor Finney. <laughs> was Taylor the DJ at the after party? He, he made, yeah, he said he could have been. There was actually quite an after party, apparently. Oh, jeez. Apparently, you didn't you didn't go. No, I I went. I came back home. One of the things one of the things that I found most interesting about uh, former um, beneficiary of the Bonkbos bump, Alexi Vermeulen, was his commentary about uh, like riding for a team. And I just I think my I was reading his his takeaways in the context of Ruth Winder's uh, blog. I think I sent it to Adam and, and Dylan to read. Probably didn't read it, but it, she talked I about didn't. like sorry because <laughs> it didn't have your name in it. Didn't read it. <laughs> um, yeah, Ruth talked about in her in her article about gravel about like let gravel kind of be its own thing. It doesn't need to be road racing. Doesn't need to be mountain bike racing. Like we have that, but that she's going back to racing for a world tour team. And I found Alexi's commentary about racing for a team to be interesting, and maybe I was viewing it in that that respect um because it did genuinely seem to be a, a team atmosphere in the four gravel worlds as you you know shared with us earlier about uh so i'm, I'm interested to see like one if does that you know is alexi gonna continue gravel racing i'm sure he will but if that means that you know there's going to be more is that going to accelerate the desire to have teams in gravel here domestically domestically mm-hmm. i can't comment on it but over here yeah. like i mean i'm managing a gravel team here based mm-hmm. on italy but we've got an internet i mean riders from all over europe and north and south america and every there are so many people asking you have hey, I'm riders for, from north america on your team well i'm the one from north america i guess <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> we have a nice. Colombian, we've got uh yeah colombian a few spaniards a couple frenchmen uh, yeah, hmm. italian Sick. german um, yeah. but people are always constantly saying, I am looking for a team. Like as mm. soon as the teams are there, it's just so much easier to pool the resources of what you, of the support that you need and pool the costs of things as well. Like, I mean, when you can put a bunch of people all in the same car and drive to a race yeah, and also approach a, in a sponsor and say, Hey, look, this is the project. And then these are all of our own personal social media. You don't have to have a massive social media following. Like if everybody added up is a lot, then in all representing different areas of a country or different markets, they're very, it's very, very interesting. And I think as soon as people start doing that, it'll, I think it'll end up in the same way that mountain bike did back in the nineties. It was kind of like mm-hmm. your own thing. And then, and I think in the future we'll see a lot of factory teams. I think there's a lot of pushback to teams here in the U S for whatever reason. Um, and I've, I've talked to multiple sponsors at this point, U S based sponsors that would prefer to sponsor individual riders as opposed to teams, because they actually find that they get more return on investment from sponsoring one person, like a Payson or like a Keegan or like a, you know, whatever, uh, then they do an entire team of how, however many riders, um, I could, I guess I could see that from the point of view of those guys are very big names. 
mm-hmm. and get a lot of visibility, but and but also have a pretty hefty price tag associated with their name, I would imagine. Sure. And so maybe they just say, yeah, we're going to give them that amount of money instead of giving that to a bunch of like five other people. Like I think the from the racing perspective, though, like teams create parity in racing, right? Can you imagine if you know Keegan's got his team, which is Tobin, and you know maybe they got one other domestique on the team? But what if you know Payson had a team and Alexi had a team, and like I think that's what you see play out on the road um, is a lot of like parity within the teams and being able to leverage the strengths of different people, so it's not just and then it comes down to the last 30K of a race is, is mono e mono. Um, but, you know, in the U.S., it's because those talents are spread out in each individual. It does open the racing, and I'm sure from a marketing perspective, it's a lot easier to focus on one person instead of, you know, four or five people that you got to sponsor. Um, you know, so, but in terms of like the actual racing, I think gravel racing being akin to road racing in a way, it, it, teams create a little more parity and a little more, it changes up the dynamics as opposed to just everybody for themselves, I guess. I think we were sure. talking. Yeah, like, no, go ahead, uh, dude. I was going to say, were you guys talking a couple of weeks ago about like, well, after Keegan just dominated Leadville, I was like, in mm-hmm. Leadville, I don't think anybody could have done anything to stop him. But in other races, like theoretically, if everybody said like, got together, I'm not saying people should do this, but if they said, Hey, we're just going to all race against, Keegan, like people do to, on the road all the time. Like if you're too dominant, people will mm-hmm. race against you, you know, mm-hmm. and it gets frustrating. And for those who are so strong that people, the, the whole field races against them, but theoretically you could do that on the road and much easier if you had a team. Like the only way to beat him would be that, but also I'm not sure how much that would help in gravel. I mean, if it's, as soon as it gets rough, he's got a gap and then that's it. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on the race. The more the more drafting matters in a race, the more tactics matter in a right. race. And gravel is in between mountain bike and road. Road tactics, tactics and, and drafting matters a lot. Mountain biking, tactics and drafting doesn't matter a lot. Gravel's in the middle, and you get races all along that spectrum. There are some races where, like Crusher sure. and the Tusher, there's barely any tactics in that race. You just climb, do two <laughs> hour-long climbs, and that's the race. Uh, a race like Unbound could be more tactical if the mud didn't just destroy everyone's race in the first, you know, 15 miles. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, because also the other thing that I've noticed is a lot of the road riders here, like they'll be on continental teams and or pro continental teams and they think they're going to rock up and just smash it. Mm-hmm. And they'll go out so, so hard at the beginning and mm-hmm. clearly haven't watched your videos, Dylan. And about pacing and they'll they'll be in the group just like dying. And I think they're expecting to be able to sit on the wheel and do like 50 Watts, zero Watts while they're drafting. And they don't realize they have to keep on pushing quite hard to stay on the wheel. I mean, not as hard as on the front, obviously, but you're still pushing really hard. And I don't, I think people don't understand that in gravel racing that come from the road for sure. Yeah. The slower the slower you go, the more watts you have to do when you're on the wheel. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Did any is switching switching topics? Did any of you watch the the mountain bike World Cups that happened this weekend? Yes. Look gross. <laughs> Look, looked gross. Real gross. Yeah, it, was a, it was another mud fest. It looked like a cyclocross race, honestly, with how much they were running. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 
Uh, it was Mount Saint Anne, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just every I time saw some I clips from it. Yeah, every time I saw those, like the men and the women go over those wet rocks, I was just like waiting for someone to totally eat shit. Like there was a moment when Pidcock unclipped on top of like a boulder, and I was like, he's just gonna, <laughs> he's just gonna die. Like, this is gonna be it. Yeah. But, He's Tom yeah. Pidcock, so he did okay. So last last weekend, Pidcock got two flats in the race, and this weekend, Flukinger got two flats in yep. the race. What yep. what is the deal with that? How were they? I thought Flukinger ran tire inserts. I don't know how are you getting two flats in one 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 hour and a half long race. I mean, it sounds like if uh, I watched the I guess I like the post race interview with Tom as well, and he was talking about how like he was fine letting Matthias go on the front on the descents because Matias just descends like a madman. And so as mm-hmm. a result, I'm sure that like I think Matias sees like any kind of negative grade on the, on the trail and just like doesn't even forgets that his brakes are even there and he just like <laughs> rips the downhills, you know? So I'm sure yeah. like wet, wet rocks plus your tires are now wet, which, you know, just makes them more susceptible to cuts and, and tears. I think that probably just was a recipe for disaster and, and him just ripping down the descents was probably not, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, just added into the mix, made it a little more dangerous. So it was weird to see him get two, yeah, to see him get two flats and yeah, Tom was seemingly yeah, I mean, the whole race. They're also both lightweight guys. I mean, they probably yeah. weigh as much as David here or less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like... <laughs> I feel so this is something that I, I don't know. I've thought about this a little bit, right? Because, you know, pressure is very uh, for gravel for cry. I come from across more of a cross background, like running low pressure is, I think a lot of those guys go like, how low can you run without mm-hmm. getting a flat? And sometimes they go too far. They run too low of a pressure and they get multiple flats. But of course, Mm-hmm. And these guys aren't buying their own tires, so it doesn't doesn't matter to them uh, necessarily. But you know, for the rest of us who are <laughs> going to be out like a hundred dollar tubular, um, I think it it leads you lead, led me to run higher pressures a lot of the times. But yeah, I mean, I sure. think those guys are just like, how low pressure can I run? One one bar, okay, great. Like that's the yeah. that's the pressure. And crack a rim, they crack a rim. Just yeah. change the change the wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah no problem. So they have not been watching your videos on tire inserts. Well, no, I think I think Matias <laughs> runs tire inserts. Does at he? least, it, oh. I, at least, I, yeah. I, uh, one of the guys I think, run them in the back, but not in the front. Why do they run them in the back, but not in the front? No, I'm saying, no, I'm saying a lot of guys do do that. So I don't know if he had a front flat or a rear flat. Oh, yeah, I I he had know. a rear flat both times. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I mean, a, a tire insert is not going to stop you from getting any kind of flat. You can still get a flat with a tire insert, but it's just, you know, it's just surprising to me that a guy that light is getting two flats in an hour and a half. Yeah, I mean, he's probably also running like 14 PSI in that tire, though, or probably lower and then just <laughs> ripping the downhills, you know. Like, if you go low yeah, pressure yeah. and no insert, you got to adjust your riding style, and I don't think that they care enough to, to adjust their riding style. <laughs> but... Yeah. What uh at at Gravel Worlds it looked like everybody was on like thirty eights or forties or something. Yeah, forty was kind of the predominant. That's some of the the equipment choices we were talking about. Is like it's very old school here. Like in one of the mm-hmm. races in Belgium, which I flatted like three times there, and it was very like rocks were sharp, and there were dudes on cyclocross tires, like thirty threes, sure. <laughs> like a lot. Okay, so so 
is a 38 or a 40, I, I, I don't know where on the spectrum you fall on, on preferring wide tires versus narrow tires, but in your opinion, was a 38 or 40 actually the right tire for the course or was, is everybody just stuck in 2005 over there? <laughs> I would have said 40, 42, like we've got Victoria as a sponsor. So the widest we have is a 38, but mm-hmm. our rims are 30 meter, 30 millimeters wide. So it, it measures to actually 42. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, it was perfect with that. Like Jan Bachmann's message me and was like, should I run a 35 slick road tire? I was like, oh, <laughs> why would you do that? And he had like 42 pathfinder, 38 pathfinders. Like, no, no, absolutely not. Do not run a 35, but you're going to cut it in the first section. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That's what the guys at challenge told me too. And I was like, listen to them. That's a lot of like old school mentality of like thinking only of the fastest parts of the course, like, and not considering the course as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think so that much better of a wide you, side. man, every time you have one of these gravel races that has a lot of road, BWR is a perfect example. Anytime you yeah. have one of these gravel races that has a lot of road, people just freak out that there's a lot of road and they're like, I need my road bike. I need my road tires. And Usually in in these races, the road sections are everyone's just riding neutral. Like the whole race just neutralizes on the road, and then every technical spot or every gravel spot is where the race is won and lost. Yeah, I mean, I think you should set up your like at a BWR. My philosophy is to choose the equipment that's going to be advantageous to you where the where you can make the most difference. So Mm -hmm. usually that's off road, right? You know. Because like to your point, if you have a wide tire on the road, I only the only difference I feel with a wide tire, and again this is feeling, but is just the the ability to change pace, like to accelerate, is mm-hmm. a little bit slower. But once you're up to speed, I don't feel any difference at all. Yeah. So there shouldn't there theoretically shouldn't be any difference in rolling resistance between a wide tire and an equivalent narrow tire, but there is a difference in aerodynamics, and if the tire weighs more, then there'd be a difference in acceleration too. Yeah. That's interesting though, because like, I feel like in other disciplines, you pick your tire for like what's going to be good 90% of the time, um, as opposed to like the 10%, right? So it's like if there's 10% of the course is muddy. Well, Alexi Alexi picks flat bars for Schwamigan because they're good for probably 2% of the race. (laughs) And the other 98%, who cares? Well, it's working for him, I guess, or, you know. Yeah, but the 2% is what matters most, though. So he's picking it for the rate, weight I, race. I don't, need, I don't even agree with him that it, it matters for that 2%, but that's that's his reasoning. Hmm. Dude, so I was just looking at the Instagram, and did you guys see Kerry Werner's latest post? <laughs> no, what? Hold on, I gotta I got to pull this up. What? You guys are tagged in it. You didn't check it Dude, out? Why is my... <sighs> I did see this, actually. Did he say my name, too? Yeah, he says your YouTube channel sucks. Second tier. No way. I gotta watch this. I gotta watch this and comment on it immediately. I'm going to send it to you. I'll mute myself while I watch. <laughs> Dizzle, my nizzle, 
<laughs> is that what he calls him? Dizzle my nizzle? Yeah. 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 <laughs> nice. Dude, uh, we need to have Carrie back on for sure. Yeah, that's that's what someone commented on. It's like, you got to get Carrie back in the podcast ASAP. Yeah. Should we have him? He is he he's doing Kansas, right? Someone no, also commented and said we need to get uh, the whoever the other guy was. Nice. <laughs> Who is this guy? Is this guy homeless? <laughs> he interviewed a homeless guy on his Instagram. Come on. <laughs> and wow. Must have uh, must have good Wi-Fi. He's checking out YouTube videos. Uh, no, Carrie's doing. Carrie's uh, coming in town to do Little Sugar here. So. Oh, he is? Yeah. He's not doing Kansas? No. Well, we could have Man. him on to talk about Little Dizzle, Sugar, too, out. I guess. He's not going to be at Kansas? Yeah. Oh, I was going to light him no. up. I'll send, you a, I'll send you a picture of his tires that he's running, and you can tell me whether or not they're going to be good. Okay. <laughs> Dude, he, he ran... Uh, he was one of the people who ran gravel tires at Schwamigan. I... Okay, I'm, I'm saying this right now. I think... Keegan running gravel tires at Schwamigan was the reason he lost the race. Whoa, dude. Come on. Okay, because he didn't... The, couldn't have been the dirt bike that was, like, right well, in the way uh, for the finish. Okay, all right, all right, all right. There's the dirt, <laughs> there's the dirt bike giving Alexi the lead out, too. But, okay, so the course is... N- the course is bumpy. It's not faster on gravel tires. It's faster on mountain bike tires. Again, we've, ar- we've already talked about how the rolling resistance is not is not less on a narrower tire. And if it's bumpy, the rolling resistance is actually lower on a wider tire. Dude, but you didn't test so, that in grass. So he had to, dude, he had to, he <laughs> had to do drum. more Watts. He had to do more Watts for the whole race, which means he was slightly more fatigued going into the sprint. And then the sprint is also bumpy. He was just training for gravel worlds at that point. Well, <laughs> so this is funny because a lot of people here, a lot of Europeans will like at race find out I'm American and be like, Oh yeah, I'm just starting gravel racing. And I got all my information from Keegan and the best tires to run. And they're all running Maxis tires. And oh, like, God. and they're like, he's so good with his equipment, which his results. You cannot, well, he, he is very good like, at not getting mechanicals. I will say that. that yeah. For sure. So you cannot argue with that. So, yeah. and yeah, the fastest tire is the one that's not flat. Um, okay, but if he didn't sure. want, like, I think Dylan's point though is this is probably the one race where it seemed like Keegan was trying to optimize his setup for speed and not for protection oh, yeah. against mechanicals, and and I would agree. Yeah. I think he made the, the wrong choice there. Look, well, I don't. But that was yeah. That was I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't doubt that Keegan thinks about his equipment a lot. He seems like he thinks about his equipment a lot more than most people. But that particular decision was a bad one. Yeah, and I think there's Dizzle, a lot what are you, of guys what are you here. smiling about over there? <laughs> Dizzle's watching his own YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> He's just so impressed by he this said, app that he I'm, built I'm out. Dizzle has of, said uh, nothing the whole podcast in, until you, you brought up some guy talking boring <laughs> stuff. I thought this was going to be fun and and I had tell us tell us about your dude tell us about your cross race this weekend and watch half our viewers that wasn't like go to that sleep. Much, that wasn't very exciting <laughs> either. But I didn't say I wanted to talk about that. I'm smiling about. I dude, got we, it. I got we, a good email. I'm smiling about a good email. Well, let's read it. Somebody somebody emailed me let's and said, it. "Do I call you Mister Duck Dynasty? That beard, very nice. <laughs> Potential sponsor just sent nice. me that. What?" <laughs> Uh, somebody was funny. Somebody was saying that I have to talk about Scott 
Scott like massaging an octopus on the podcast. Oh. Yeah, dude, he, that sounds he looked way like he more, went spearfishing. That sounds way more relevant than the cross race I did this weekend. <laughs> Wait, who were we talking about again? <laughs> did you yes, guys ever talk Scott, about did you guys ever talk on oh, going back to the Ch- Chiquamigan thing? Did you guys ever talk about the finish? Mm, I feel like not. the question got brought up in the Chiquamigan and never, episode. And then we never talked about it. And then it, you guys just talked around it like it didn't happen. <laughs> well, all right, well, tell us about I, it. I mean, we had Payson on for that episode, and I don't think anyone wanted to, like, Interrupt throw him. any shade at the fact that, you know, maybe there was some controversy there. I mean, like, like Alexi's strong. Like, I'm not saying I'm not saying that he didn't deserve to win that race, but, like, I, I think I, I watched the finish, which they quickly deleted from their story, and it was like, why is there even a moto that close to the finish line. Yeah, that was what do you need a moto for at yeah, that point? It was it's 200 it, yeah. meters to go. And how did the <laughs> moto stop in time? Because there's like there was like a barricade like 50 feet after the finish line. I don't know. And they're going good 40. that Remco wasn't driving that moto, otherwise he would have crashed on his face. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's yeah, I just I don't know. I remember seeing that and I remember listening to the Schwamigan episode and being like, they're not talking about the most like the most controversial thing to come from this entire race was that there was a moto. Okay, so I'm going to be honest. Racing. I didn't. I so I saw the picture of the moto and I was like, wow, that moto is really close. But I didn't realize it was that controversial. I mean, dude, like if you are coming to this finish line sprint of a race and then you see, no, like, I, yeah, I video, agree. I video agree. Was bad. And so they took it. They are took you it su- are you suggesting right now that the reason why Alexi won is because he drafted the moto? I'm, I'm not saying no. I'm not saying that Alexi did it with. Don't put words in my mouth. I'm not saying that Alexi won because the moto was there. I'm saying that if you if you watch the video, which is forever taken off the internet, seemingly, if you watch the video, it the influence of that I think plays a potential role. Like Alexi, it sounded like he played the sprint right. He was in a mm-hmm. big gear. He got rolling. Like he attacked before it was downhill. Like tactically, he played the sprint right, but I'm just saying, like from the video, it looked like like you if you have a moto like five feet in front of you, like that's going to affect like how you can sprint. And, and 17 guys, wait, well, uh, sorry, probably less than that. 14 guys going for the sprint finish, like that's going to play a factor in like your ability to move left to move right behind the moto if there's you know. 10, 11 other guys around you. I'm not saying that the outcome would have been different, but it looked like it affected, it at least affected where, who could move where and like who would have mm. come around potentially. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if it affected the end result, but I, I'm in a complete agreement with you. I don't know why the moto didn't just pull off as soon as they got into the finishing stretch. You see it all the time they, in road races. You got the little guy with a little flag or the little like, a uh, ping pong paddle that's directing people off the road and it's only the like the commissaire's car that gets to follow through the finish line so i don't know why the like mm-hmm. i don't know whatever <laughs> we yeah, should right. they did take that video we should have had you on gone. for that episode man oh uh, no i probably would have talked too much shit and got in trouble <laughs> <laughs> but well we did it 
Right, okay, is is this the end of the episode? <laughs> you know, no, no, Adam. Adam, no. remember, remember last week. You're like, okay, next episode is a listener question episode. Dude, We're gonna I answer even, all even, the listener questions. <laughs> I even put that in the intro last week. I was like, yo, next what? week I promise we're Dude, gonna get. It's gonna be all listener questions. About. Dude, you Dizzle's knew that next week was the week episode. after Gravel World Championships. Like, we're gonna spend <laughs> yeah, at least last year. Last year we didn't even talk about it. I yeah, last year we didn't talk like about it at all. A blip in the radar. We didn't That's even true. care. That's true. Yeah. All right, no, I was like, well, what else is gonna be going on? Nothing. We're gonna talk about listeners. Can we answer two? Dude, there's Dizzle's cross questions. race to talk about. We didn't even get to that, dude. We have over fifty listener questions now. <laughs> a couple euros showed up. Bruner showed up. A couple of the euros and Bruner beat me. Summary is already too long. Wrap it up. <laughs> and on the second day, the guy who won didn't race. So then I moved up one place in the finishings. It's literally like nice. You can only race the people that start. Dizzle doesn't right, matter. So I got fifth on Saturday, okay. fourth on Sunday. I was throwing bombs on Sunday though. At one point, I was winning at, for like 15 seconds on accident. What are you, Cat 4, dude? It was awesome. Nice. Um, Bragging about winning And then I was duking the it out with minutes. David Haverdings, who's like 19 years old. <laughs> uh, he's a Euro. I think he almost won Worlds, but something happened to his bike a couple years ago, Junior Worlds. So I'm, I almost beat the almost Junior World Champ. <clears throat> yep. And also, if you take out all the Euros, I would have been second both days. So, yeah. Mm. I, you know, dude, I'm happy with that. Killing second it. Second American, bro. How close, how close were you to Bruner? <laughs> Uh, oh, oh, so on Sunday, Minutes. I attacked uh, like a lap down. I, I attacked, <laughs> I attacked uh, like two or three laps into the race. And it was my attack that softened the legs of the Euros so that when Bruner attacked. And you're really good effective. at not answering my question. I was saying that Bruner countered my attack, and that was, and his attack was the race winning attack. I love how I asked you a question and you didn't answer it at all. Not wait, so did Bruner won Sunday? Yeah, he won Sunday. Dang, where did you attack at? More importantly, Bruner won right before Bruner beat the Euros on the pavement. So, so Bruner needs to just quit this whole lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dude, Bruner's way better at cross than he is at lifetime. Yeah, for sure. I think he knows that. I think, man, I think the lifetime races are just like he's. If the race is over four hours long, he, he yeah he struggles. He pretty much told me yeah. that. He, yeah, he he. That's like almost exactly what he said after one of the races. I was talking to him. I will I will say he probably would have had a good race at Schwam again if it wasn't for his flat tire. Yeah, he said that too. Yeah, like he would he would have been in that sprint for sure. Uh, okay, well, good story. The world will, will never know. Uh, Alex wants to know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I was just wondering why so many pros have top of the line equipment and are still dropping chains. I've noticed it a lot in the tour and I saw it during gravel worlds. Just wondering why it happens because I've never had that problem. Thanks, Alex. Who is Good that? For you, that Alex. Was, uh, Florian Must Vermeer. be nice. <laughs> so, so I have this conversation with people who say they've never flatted a tire at unbound. Cause there are those people that exist shockingly. And they're like, Oh dude, what? All these people talking about flats at Unbound. I've done Unbound ten times. I never had a flat. It the the faster you go and the more aggressively you ride, the more likely you are to have mechanicals, whether that's flat tires or drop chains or whatever it is. So, um, you know, when you are a pro and you ride really fast and really aggressive, I, I think that's the answer. Yeah. So i I've run a one buy on gravel for probably five or six years now 
And I don't know, I drop my chain maybe a handful of times a year. And I probably should put a chain catcher on it, but I just, I think it looks stupid. So I just don't like, I think if, it if I'm going to have something, <laughs> yeah, if I'm going to have something dangling in, on top of my chain, I'm just going to put a front derailleur on. Wow. So okay. I don't know. I, I think it just happens. Like if, if bumpy and you're shifting, did you see, or, did you it see usually the, happens if you're coasting and backpedaling on um, accident, which Vermeer got second, Florian, uh, Florian, Florian, Florian Vermeer dropped his chain. When he was right. cha- trying to chase back to Mahorich. Yeah, that's what I think that's what he's talking about here. Is oh, okay. That yeah. was like, that was heat of the moment, you know, like, yeah, no, that time. was he went really from terrible. Five time, seconds down sure. to 20 seconds down or something like that. It actually, he, he fixed it pretty fast. It only cost mm-hmm. him like yeah. 20 or 30 seconds, but. Yeah, dude, former cross race. a lot. He's familiar with drop chains, mm-hmm. knows how to fix them quick. Were the majority yeah. of people running two by, David, for Worlds? Um, split. Mix fifty fifty, but yeah, I think two by on that course. I <clears throat> had too short of a gear mm. because I was thinking about the climbs at the end, which were super steep. But there was like I looked at the file afterwards. There were times like going downhill where I was like pushing four hundred watts at one hundred and thirty RPM. Wow! Like it was too. What and what gearing did you have? I don't want to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, uh, uh, ten forty four in the back and a forty chain ring in the front. I should have forty four. Whoa. Wow, I, cyclocross guy over here. Now I that's see like, why you, yeah. that's lower than see why you didn't want to say. Wow, that's like yeah, yeah, that three was, cycles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I should have put a forty-four on hmm. or a forty-two yeah. something I, in the middle, dude. I I yeah. just I run fifty-two thirty-six uh, road gearing for almost every single gravel race that I do. Yeah, but how how often are you doing five minute long? Climbs at twenty percent grade. What, it, dude? There's so many races like that. What are you talking about? <laughs> what's I'm actually, your? What's, I'm actually not even joking your, right now. What's your cassette <laughs> in the back? Do you have a one to one? It's an still? eleven to thirty six. So thirty six, okay. thirty six. So yeah, I think a one to one is like all you need. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I was thinking of like the chain not being too much on the the top parts. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you have big gear jumps. Yeah. Mm. I don't. Know, it was. At any rate, it was a dumb decision. It wasn't. It was. It was not. It was not wise. Okay. Live and learn. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next one. Uh, hot take from Jordan says: Campy chains are faster on SRAM mountain bikes, according to Zero Friction Cycling. Why isn't Dylan running a campy chain, or is he? I run a um, KMC chain. I don't know. Maybe I'll try a campy chain. KMC, if you say it kind of fast relative to campy kind of sounds like it could be like a knockoff to campy. (laughs) (laughs) So campy. So, okay. So campy chains work on SRAM just fine. Apparently it's news to me. Well, they no take that back. They don't say that. They just say that they're faster as in lower friction. Yeah. Watch how work like shit. Dude, somebody is going to sue us now. They're going to put a campy chain on their SRAM and just go (laughs) over the bars. Explode. (laughs) (laughs) We do not condone uh, putting campy chains on SRAM. Chase Work sent us a post that is no longer available. Sorry, Chase. Waited too long. Uh, someone sent a video. Oh, no. His post, you guys. his post was, he, he was saying, if I had a nickel for every time the Bonk Bros mentioned me on their podcast, then I would be able to afford the unbound entry fee or something. <laughs> Dude, that's like 40,000 nickels. Yeah. There's... <laughs> Sorry, Chase. That's that's way overinflated. Maybe twenty thousand nickels, but uh, someone else sent a YouTube video. Probably not going to watch that right now. Sorry. 
okay. Well, we can yeah, wrap it up. Dude, so much, oh, dude, I do oh have to ride at some point today. I know. I got a huge ride. I got to go. What are you talking two. about? It's uh, like 11 o'clock. You got the rest of the day. Dude, I'm going to be riding until sundown at least. It's, me too, but dude, I'm going right. to start this, like in 10 minutes. So. This is the last <laughs> one. Someone, someone sent a video of someone shaving the tread off of their monster truck tires. And said, this is just the monster truck version of Dylan trimming tire hairs. That's hilarious. Dude, I had to, I had to actually cut some knobs off for my big sugar setup. Hold on, Dylan, do you shave when you get new tires on the van? Do you shave the hairs off of those? Do you think I care at all about my car whatsoever? (laughs) You you gotta (laughs) get those gas miles. Gas miles. Think about how much money you could be saving. I know. That's a trip to Europe, dude. I know. Come race a UCI gravel event. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm the, like, you know that meme where there's a $10,000 bike on the roof rack of a freaking $500 car? That that meme is it's not as accurate to me now. I have a slightly nicer van, but it's still not a nice van. But that was that was me like three years ago. A hundred percent. You have a U sweep pack strapped to the top too for aerodynamic <laughs> purposes. <laughs> dude, Dylan, did you see that thing that I sent yesterday about the the TT dude who had like a fairing hanging from his chin? How we've literally talked about that on this podcast. And what? and those helmets have been out for so long right now, and you're like, well, I know the helmet, thing. but I've never seen. He was wearing like a chin strap that was like hanging down. Dude, to his this knees. is old old news, bro. This is old. We first of all, I, we we talked I'd about never the, seen that before. <laughs> we talked about the chin strap on this podcast when it came out, and second of all, the chin strap has been out for probably close to two years now. Why haven't you tested one yet? <sighs> I don't know. I guess I, I guess I'll have to do that this off season and go back to the wind tunnel. Dude, I told you, man, big sugar. That's your that's your one chance to beat Dizzle. Got to got to put that chin fairing on. Dude, I will wear whatever I have to on my chin to beat Dizzle. You got to put <laughs> little foam blocks behind your triceps, dude, mm-hmm. and behind your socks. That's how to go. That's a reference to the right. UK time trial scene. And on that note, really, <laughs> let's get out of here. Three yeah. three listeners got that joke. <laughs> 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 all right sweet well thanks david for coming on yeah no thanks guys that was awesome good fun yeah uh next year 44 tooth chain ring get you up tooth, there yeah. or that's in belgium i think i have to go with a 48 or 50 mm. man all right okay we'll see all you guys right. see ya all right thanks guys this might have been the most